welcome back to Immigrantly. I am your host Adia Khan. You're listening to our last episode of season 12. Season 13 comes out on January 18th. And wow, do we have a great episode for you today. But before I get into it, I have a favor to ask. As you may know, Immigrantly is an independent podcast. We are a small team of seven women, mostly from immigrant backgrounds. that work to write, edit and produce this show and we love doing it. We know how important shows like Immigrantly are, but in order for us to continue bringing you episodes every week, we need your support, listener support. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. First, you can follow us on Twitter at immigrantly_pod and on Instagram at immigrantlypod. You can also write us a review on Apple Podcasts to tell the world why you love Immigrantly. And one of the most exciting ways to support us is by becoming a member of our Patreon, where you have the opportunity to meet the team and experience how the podcast goes from an idea into an episode and so much more. You can learn more at patreon.com forward slash immigrantly. Again, thank you so much for your support and helping make Immigrantly a reality over the last three years. Now let's get into the episode. This season on Immigrantly, we've been exploring the narratives that haven't been widely covered across media, from queer Muslim representation to the shifting discourse around geek culture for people of color. And to close out what I have to say has been our best season yet, we are bringing you a very important conversation. Today, I'm speaking with an Afghan journalist facing threats under a Taliban regime that is becoming more hostile towards the press every day. To protect him, we have concealed all aspects of his identity, including altering his voice to prevent any person seeking to harm him. And we also call him Faulad Ahangar, which is not his real name. Immigrantly listeners, I've always been honest with you and I'll be honest now. I was nervous about having Faulad Ahangar on our show because we never want to put our guests in harm's way. But we have taken necessary steps to protect his identity because this story needs to be told. Since the Taliban took over Afghanistan earlier this year, the journalists have been hunted down, tortured and imprisoned. We can all agree that a free press is essential to holding governments accountable and exposing abuses of power. Unfortunately, however, it seems like it will become nearly impossible to sift out fact from myth in stories coming out of a country with censored media that is Afghanistan in addition our goal through this episode is to give you a more holistic and honest view of what's happening on the ground 
I want to reiterate here that while we are extremely concerned about the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan, given their record of human rights violations, such as summary justice, strict rules, especially against women and curbing free press, we also recognize that the chain of violence in Afghanistan, which has continued for the last 40 years, should end. It has to end. So we should be asking ourselves, what does an ordinary Afghan want? How do we hold the Taliban accountable without penalizing the Afghan population crippled with food insecurity, human rights violations, climate change, and more? And finally, what does the path forward look like? It is also essential that we keep in mind the U.S.-led occupation of Afghanistan was wrong and the military absolutely should have withdrawn. But the chaos that accompanied their exit could have been avoided. It should have been avoided. Instead, the U.S. has fed us this narrative that Afghani people are solely to blame for the country's fall to the Taliban. We gave them every tool they could need. We paid their salaries, provided for the maintenance of their Air Force, something the Taliban doesn't have. Taliban does not have an Air Force. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future. Falad Ahangar is joining us today to paint a picture of his life as a journalist in Afghanistan and shed some light on how the international community can help ensure that Afghans are not suffering more than they already have at the expense of political tugs of war. But to be clear, Falad Ahangar's perspective is that of one Afghani and does not represent over 44 million Afghans. So let's jump right into it. Falad Ahangar, thank you so much for joining us today. I have really been looking forward to this conversation. But before we delve into different topics, I just want you to set... Um, the scene of your daily life for us. What's happening on the ground and what does your daily life look like right now? Yeah, thank you very much for giving the opportunity. Uh, I'm so keen to be with you guys. Currently, the situation is uh, so awful, uh, actually, because for the people that almost for two decades who have worked, who has done much more uh, and they have put uh, their lives to uh, achieve something. Now everything has changed. So currently we are in a critical situation, unfortunately. We don't have the exact opportunities as we had earlier. We can move freely. We can get even to the buzzer uh, with a peaceful mindset that, okay, the situation is good. We can go on and also even when we are going to bother to buy something for ourselves, we are going with, with the affair that will possibly there would be someone who has given the reports about us 
and probably there would be a team of the intelligence of the Taliban group and they would look after us. So these are the issues that uh, on daily basis it uh, really hurts and also at the same time our mindsets are not as same as before. We know that in the past we had uh, several uh, uh, awful incidents for example suicide attacks uh war and also some other kind of stuffs but on that time we, we were thinking that okay this situation will change one day and this change would be positive but unfortunately after the 15th of august the situation changed but it was negative so currently uh, as i am speaking with you guys the situation is not good for me and also for uh, like me, people who has worked in the media outlets, because you can go freely, you can speak freely, and even when you're speaking with, with your relatives, you need to be so curious about the things that you're saying. You should just uh, speak uh, in a manner that, that no one should understand that uh, he is just against the, the government or, or he is with the government. Fala, this is so awful. Just hearing you talk about the situation on the ground and it is just heartbreaking for everyone. Um, I I can partly relate to what you're talking about because I grew up in Pakistan in the 80s and 90s and the spillover from um, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and later civil war which ensued was very real. The spillover in Pakistan, into Pakistan, was very real. And I grew up at the time. But just to give context to listeners, when you talk about freedom of press and being able to walk freely, can you talk a little bit about the situation of press or journalists prior to Taliban takeover? What did freedom of press look like under... Ashraf Ghani's rule or even his predecessors. Um, can you just give us a comparative analysis of what it was and what it is right now? Freedom of speech in Afghanistan during past two decades was uh, something that in- was encouraging the people to live in a society with the most uh, uncertainties. Uh, what I want to say in here is this, that we know that we had so many difficulties, problems in our society on that time. But on that time, we were the people that, that uh, we were looking to criticize the government with, with full power. There was no one to stop us because we had a law of uh, media law. That, that law was uh, the most uh, reputable law and also the most exclusive law. Uh, which was uh, made in, in Afghanistan. And with that law, we had a wide separate access to criticize the, the people, to see what's going on, and, and to work uh, on things to change uh, on that time. In 2014, when Ashraf Ghani became the president of Afghanistan, one thing that created the opportunity to the people and to the journalists, it was investigative reports actually. On that time, we began to practice investigative journalism. We miss that days, truly. We miss those newsrooms. We miss the power, the real power of the journalists, that even the president 
was scared of the power that we had. But now everything has changed. Unfortunately, there is no attitude, no will to criticize anyone because criticizing the, the, the system, criticizing the people can lead to your death and also can lead to, to your silence. So it's better to keep yourself silent. And now the situation of the journalists and media outlets in Afghanistan, it's just something that possibly it looks like the media of 1990s or 1980s. Everyone is just saying that IEA is doing better. Everyone is saying that everyone is good. Everyone is saying that, that uh, uh, Ahmad Mahmoud is good, but, but there is no criticism. There is no uh, truths that should be uh, told. And the realities of the people are looking to hide their, their uh, voice and also the realities of the ground, unfortunately. So let's talk a little bit more about the state of affairs in Afghanistan and also public opinion of journalists in that country. How do Afghans typically get their news? Uh, in the past, it was the, the organizations and also it was the people that they were creating news. But now, uh, everything has changed. The news would be produced or the, the, the news would be given by the government now. And there are still some media outlets that they are operating uh, from beyond Afghanistan, beyond the borders. They were still trying to work as same as they were working in the past. And also now the, the, the real journalists who worked for almost a decade or two decades, they are not in, in the country, unfortunately. Uh, most of them has fled from the country. Most of them has went to uh, European countries, to American uh, countries. Even most of them are in the uh, migration camps in Qatar and other places. So now a new generation of journalists with a low capacity has raised in the country and just they are covering the news incidents. Those incidents would be covered by them unfortunately. That is mainly uh, profitable for the government and that uh, never uh, create any kind of risk for them, life threat. Now the condition is unfortunately getting worse in here and also even the, the international media which are willing to uh, cover the incidents, they have no access to the sources and also uh, uh, lack of communication with the authorities has changed the, the direction of uh, news coverage in Afghanistan. So talking about international journalists, uh, there were news coming out of Afghanistan that Taliban's treatment of Western journalists is very different from their treatment of local Afghani journalists, right? In terms of how they threaten local journalists. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, I guess, dichotomy in how Taliban are treating Western versus local Afghani journalists, and how are they censoring and threatening journalists and press content when it comes to local journalism in Afghanistan right now? Uh, well, uh, what I want to say in this part is this, that uh, Western journalists are probably 
some kind of asset for the internet uh, for the Taliban government. Western media is uh, a good asset for them to show up themselves and also to raise their voice. And uh, it's just a kind of tradition uh, that the Taliban has uh, just uh, take that in hand from the past, even when they were they were in war with the U.S. and Afghanistan and also with the uh, previous regime. Uh, but uh, their attitude toward the uh, local journalists, uh, what I want to say is that it's too unlawful. They, they even don't respect the, the, the local journalists because they know that what the local journalists have done in past two decades against them. When uh, those journalists, that uh, those media outlets that are active in Afghanistan right now, I'm speaking about the local media, they were in a uh, direct war with the Taliban. So on that base, what I, uh, I can say is this, that uh, actually uh, their attitude toward the local journalists are not too good. Even dozens of the journalists have been beaten, dozens of the journalists have been arrested, and several of those journalists have been put to jail. Even uh, some of them were killed by unknown gunmen. No one knows that who and has killed them and why has killed uh, that journalist. And at the same time, uh, we were expecting that in current situation, such as uh, organizations such as the United Nations would directly interfere on this issue, and also they would provide the opportunity to have further discussions uh, with the Taliban that the freedom of the speech should be protected, the journalists should be protected, the journalists should have uh, their free will and also their freedoms, but unfortunately, uh, the international community and the international organizations which are active in Afghanistan, they have also forgotten their role in this issue. And the worst uh, scenario in here is this, that currently there are several international and local uh, press uh, defending organizations that they are busy with, with doing some business on journalists. So there is no protection for the journalists, but some projects are ongoing uh, on them. For example, dozens of journalists are, are carrying away from Afghanistan in the name of journalists. Even he hasn't worked, he or she hasn't worked one day in the press. And at the same time, some new organizations are uh, just building here and, and those organizations are trying to get projects, to earn money at this situation. So the freedom of speech has been lost in Afghanistan. Those people who were a part of this uh, um, sector or, or this industry, that they all has, has left their jobs, even uh, more than 100 media outlets, including newspapers, websites, has been shut down and also uh, uh, more than thousands of journalists and, and uh, media workers has lost their jobs and, and now they're jobless in their home. Even uh, several of them don't have the amount to uh, buy their uh, first needs of the home. So now the situation is like this. 
So there, there's so much to unpack in the information that you're giving us. But before I dig into all of that, I just want to take a step back and I want to talk a little bit about geopolitics of that region, right? So there are a lot of variables that are at play. On the one hand, uh, Taliban are trying to establish themselves as a more legitimate political entity. Um, and as you said, that's why they are being more kind to Western journalists. On the other hand, the previous Afghan government under Ashraf Ghani was pretty corrupt. He left Afghanistan and left Afghani people, um, just deserted them and fled the country when Taliban took over. And then we have the U.S., the U.S. government, which was basically an occupying force and they had to leave at the end of the day. So there is a lot at play right now. The current situation, despite being so dire, is where we are, right? Given the situation that we are in right now, what is your perspective on U.S.'s responsibility to aid Afghans now and to take at least some responsibility for the current state of the country, because what we see in U.S. media outlets and general broader narrative that U.S. government is purporting is that Afghani people are to blame for all that's been happening. I, I want to be frank with you guys. Well, the major problem and the major failure of the current situation is because of the U.S negative and also short-term policies actually it's number one number two what i want to say that afghans are not crap afghans were not crap it was us it was international community that they educated us they learned us how to make corruption i have several examples of that that i want to share with you for example, a cup of coffee in Kabul costs for you 10 Afghanis. But a US citizen in Afghanistan bought that coffee on $10. So that guy who was bringing for him that coffee, he was getting $10. This is the beginning of corruption. There was a system called apps in Afghanistan. It was financial management system of Afghanistan Defense Ministry and Interior Ministry. So the contract of that application was signed with one of the Afghan organizations on that time around $10 million. But at the end, in 2020, the cost of that contract reached to $56 million. The main reason of that one was NATO and Americans. So now, according to these exa examples that I provided you, the full failure of this situation is on the hand of the Americans. And also, you know that Americans are, are mainly thinking about, about their today, now their tomorrow. So the, the, the 14 years of, of uh, uh, bloodshed in Afghanistan and, and, and current crisis, the reason of that one is mainly U.S. 
and now it's the time that the youth should should uh, make these things okay. For example, how we can uh, okay this? Okay, if you uh, we, we are not saying that that you should recognize the Taliban, even we are in war with them, because we 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 can't work with them. I I am an educated person. I have worked for almost uh, uh, 15 years. I am a, a BA of, of journalism. How you can imagine that I would go and stand in an office and I would work under the hand of a, a Talib who has uh, just madras educations. It's impossible, uh, impossible for me because my ideology and the Talib ideology is different. We are in war with them as a new generation, but we we just blame US that the US deal on us. The US sold us. The US sold us to the Talib. The US sold us to, to, to uh, those enemies that we stand against them. Those enemies in the region that, that right now, we know that the Talib would never kill, kill the new generation of uh, Afghanistan. We would somehow manage to deal with them. But the enemies in the region would kill us. And that enemy in the region is the, the, the regional terrorism. Regional terrorism is so hard for every country. But US, unfortunately, in the past two decades, just played devil game. So now it's the time for US to make everything okay. And as Trump was saying that let's make America again, great again, I want to say that please make your failures great again and also okay them first fulfill your failures that's it this podcast is sponsored by better health as you probably already know by now we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and the importance of taking the time to take care of yourself in fact, we dedicated an entire season to it. And there are so many different ways to do that, whether it's meditation or getting a massage. But let's be honest, ice cream can only go so far and sometimes what you really need is to connect with someone. On previous, I've been open about the fact that therapy has helped me a lot when it comes to managing my mental health. If you've been struggling with stress, anxiety, or if you just want to learn effective preventative tools, BetterHelp might be for you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's convenient, affordable, and you can start with your therapist in under 48 hours of signing up. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about and take the leap. Again, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and immigrantly listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash listener. Fala, there's again so much that you've talked about. It's it's taking me a minute to respond. And there's so much that you've said, which makes a lot of sense to me. And I am playing devil's advocate here. Um, I hear all that you're saying, but at the end of the day, 
the fact that Afghani government was corrupt now and it was corrupt in the 90s did lead way to Taliban's takeover, right? Even in the, in the 90s, the reason Taliban took over, one of the reasons why they took over was because of corruption, civil war, um, all mass atrocities being committed by warlords. And even in 2021, people of Afghanistan were fed up with the government. They were fed up with U.S. occupation, which again gave way to Taliban, right? So what I'm trying to ask you here is, how do we make sure that Afghanistan comes out of this turmoil organically and Afghani people make these choices of who they want as leaders rather than the U.S. or Western entities um, making those choices for them? What is your take on that? The major issue is this, that the U.S. just imposed those people who are not from us, who are not the citizens of this country. One thing that's so common, Zalmay Khalilzad was taken to U.S. when he was uh, a teenager. So from that time, U.S. invested on Zalmay Khalilzad up to now. So according to your question, what I know is this, that the generation in Afghanistan has been changed. And I believe that soon, soon, you would see a bigger change, probably in the spring, you would see a, a bigger change. And at the same time, what is important in here is this, that we need to coordinate with the regional countries. You speak about Pakistan as you're uh, growing in there. I want to say that if, if the same scenario is ongoing in Pakistan, but Pakistan has an army, so that army is keeping everything stable. So we need to create a, a, a half an entire region that a new generation should, should create this mindset that the region needs stability and this is the new generation that we should forget the enmity and, and work with each other. And for Afghanistan especially, for Afghanistan especially, what I want to say that the generation has changed. We believe that probably this new era of Taliban or probably the new government of ABCD, the leadership, who are just uh, the, the, the political leaders, it's ended. They all give their examination Sooner or later, the situation will change. And even we have right now the problem of this, that, that a, a, a bunch of family members are, are, uh, are relying on us. For example, my wife, my mother, my sister, my brother, my father, my son even, they're relying on us. So for fighting, you need a clear mindset and also you need a, a calm mindset, mind that, okay, we are going to fight. In the upcoming three to four months, the situation will change and the new generation would be the, the, the major part of that one. But if the region, I mean our neighboring countries such as Iran, Pakistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, they just keep uh, their, their policies as they are thinking right now, 
از کنندلی پاکستان از سپیکنگ آن بیهاف آف طالبان شاه محمود قریشی از دفاعین منیستر آف طالبان امیر خان متقیس هز هز کور کن اکچیلی بیکاس افتی دنگ هیسنگ This kind of policies can arm the, the, the new generations and for getting out of this, this turmoil in Afghanistan, we believe that the chance should be now given to the new generation and a massive work should be done among the, the ethnicities in Afghanistan and this to, to create, a, 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 to have a nation building in this country and meanwhile, we should have some changes in the formation of the government, for example, as we have experienced in the past 40 years that uh, a central government with full uh, power to one man, such as president or prime minister, is not working in Afghanistan. So the system should change. That time, the, the, the country can, can uh, work better and better. Fawad, you've talked about so many important things, and I just want to recap a few, and I'll ask you to... Um, elaborate on a couple of things. You've mentioned this a few times about how new generation's mindset in Afghanistan is very different. Can you elaborate a little bit on what do you mean by that? In early 1990s, my father was only thinking about this, that we have an internal war, so I should keep safe only my village and my villagers. This is my work, my task. But in 2021, as I am speaking with you guys, me, myself, I'm thinking that no, my task is to save Afghanistan. My task is to save my fellow men and women who are at the same age with me. And like this, in different ethnicities, dozens of other youngsters and, and, and uh, teenagers are thinking at the same time. But the problem is this, that we have a major obstacle beyond ourselves. And that obstacle is the former politicians and also those people who are now at the age of 50 to 60, so they are not leaving us. The biggest change that has come in Afghanistan is this, that now no one, including the Taliban, can live without technology. And this technology has changed our mindset. Even if you see the Taliban in the streets, they have the, the, their phones and they are just listening to Holy Quran with, with, with uh, so beautiful voice. So it means that the Taliban also knows that, okay, the technology is the best. And I believe that technology can just bring a collective mind and also, by the power of the technology, we can just provide so many awareness among the people to change their mindsets. Because this technology is the power of this new generation, fortunately. It's interesting how you mentioned Taliban. Ironically, they are plugged into this new era of technology, and yet uh, we don't know how their um, government will fare or how it will pan out. There's something else that you mentioned. You talked about central government and how that model hasn't really worked in Afghanistan. Just for our listeners, why do you think that is the case? And what is the alternative to that, in your opinion? 
Well, I believe that uh, federalism is a, a good solution. Or possibly the, the, the government systems that are currently ruled in, in uh, India and Pakistan, they are the, the best uh, formats of, of uh, governing Afghanistan. The biggest mistake that US made in 2001 was this, that they began uh, their nation building projects in Afghanistan without further investigations. The four decade wars in Afghanistan has uh, brought the, the violence in uh, every home of uh, Afghanistan. So from 35 million of population in here, none of them are without a uh, martyr. It means that during the 40 years, at least one home has lost one or two members of that in this war. So the mistake that U.S. on that time made was this, that they begin investing, they begin their uh, nation building work without any further investigations. Now, it's the time after two decades, after so many failures and success that we had, that every ethnicity should understand themselves and they should have their own rights. The power should be uncentral. It means that, for example, if, if the Tajiks that are mainly around 40% of the population of Afghanistan, if they want to have their own federal uh, government, give them the right. They would choose their own, they would protect their area, they would work on their education system, and also they would provide the taxes to the uh, um, uh, central government. If the persons want their changes, give them the right. Why I'm saying this issue? The reason is this, that you cannot impose anything on anyone because the traditions, the systems, and the uh, humans are different. So no one can impose anything on someone. Why right now every, everyone is just uh, opposing the, the Taliban because they are imposing themselves. They are saying to me that, that just put your beer as same as like us, but I'm not okay with this. So for that reason, they are imposing themselves. Now the only solution is this: that federal governments can work in Afghanistan very good, and they would have the opportunity to have one central government and federal governments would make the situation better even the federal governments can create a better relation with the regional countries because our major problem in Afghanistan is not the, the, the internal policies that we have we have the major problem in our foreign affairs policy, unfortunately. So Afghanistan and then past four decades, whenever that, that face crisis, it's due to the misunderstanding of the politicians that in four or five years when they come to power, so they are trying to impose themselves on, on the regional countries that we will beat you, we will defeat you, we would terminate you, we would destroy you. This issue unfortunately creates a 
worst scenario in the uh, area, and also the, the proxies would uh, work, begin their work and proxy wars would continue. So what I believe right now is this, that if we are looking to change the scenario and if we are looking to defeat the regional terrorism and international terrorism, now is the time that the change in Afghanistan should be a massive change in the region. The region also change, should change their uh, thoughts. The, the, the uh, people of the region should get the power in their hand and, and they should become a responsible human in the region and is to uh, tackle these challenges. Those are all very important points, especially when you talk about geopolitics in that region and how different countries, neighboring countries like Pakistan and Iran, and others should play a role in coalition building and and basically um, peacemaking. For that, I want to ask you something on a very personal level. Have you considered leaving journalism in order to ensure your safety, given all that's happening in Afghanistan right now? Has that thought crossed your mind at all? No. Why I haven't just changed my mind uh, on this issue? It's just like a dream for me because I know that current situation is not too good. There is no respect for this profession and there is no safety for this profession. But on that time, we had the power, we had the right, and also we had the courage to stand. And that mindset has given me a, a new life. Even in my, my, my ordinary works and my ordinary life, I'm just just keeping to be uh, honest with myself, even in my speech, even in, in my works, even when I'm writing something. I'm trying to be honest. So because of this honesty that journalism has given me, I, I haven't ever thought that, okay, I should leave this work. Even right now, I haven't ever thought that, okay, Let's uh, leave this occupation, this profession. That gives me positive energy, actually. So before we wrap up, in your opinion, what action must the international community take now to help Afghanis right now and Afghanistan in general? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, uh, the first issue is this, that uh, after this, the international community should stop their political games in here. For example, one of the issues of, uh, that is uh, a political game, it's the issue of recognizing the Taliban. It doesn't mean for the Afghans, for the ordinary Afghans, that you recognize the Taliban or you don't recognize them. What, what make difference for, what make difference for the, the ordinary Afghans is this, that is still the international communities and in, in a uh, double game with them. Do this one, we would recognize you. Do not do this one, we would not recognize you. Now, they should tell the Taliban that without any preconditions, you should just obey the human rights. You should protect freedom of speech. You should protect the the ethnicities in here. You should protect the Afghans. And if you didn't uh, do it like that, once again, we would just come and, and, and have some uh, um, discussions with you. 
and also the region should do the same. Political games should be ended in the country and without any kind of just uh, conditions or preconditions that this condition, if you, you just uh, uh, protect the human rights, we would uh, release your files. No, just be straight with this issue and, and force the Taliban to do that one. Because it's still the Taliban don't have the mindset, they don't know the politics in a real manner. So how you are imagining that the group will just accept everything and they would say, oh, okay, Mr. America, I would do this one, okay, Mr. Germany, I would protect you, your citizens. This is unlawful. And, and uh, because of this, that the Taliban war, in war for almost 20 years with these people. So their mindset is all uh, only set on, on war. They don't know nothing. So for change, it's important that pressures should increase on them. And also the, the, the local fighters, we should understand that currently the problem is in, in three major levels. One is high level, upper level, which are mainly the, the leadership of Taliban, they know politics. The median level, that they are the commanders and, and the local peoples who are fighting in here, they don't know. And the, the uh, lower level, they even don't know that for what they fought in uh, 20 years, for what they are in Kabul, for what they are in the cities, and how they should behave with the people. So the international community should understand this issue, that if you, they are dealing with the leadership of the Taliban, it can't change the situation in Afghanistan, because the leadership would do their politics. But the main question is this, that how the international community is going to deal with the medium level uh, troops of the Taliban and the lower level troops of the Taliban. That makes so much sense, especially rank and file, right? We don't know how they are behaving and what their motivations are. And you're absolutely right about this whole politics around recognizing or not recognizing because it seems so performative to me. On the one hand, U.S. strikes deal with Taliban. And then on the other hand, Western community is not recognizing them, which is mind-boggling, right? Why would you strike a deal with it? an organization and then say, oh, we don't recognize them. Um, I mean, this interview is just so, it's it's mind-blowing. It's so profound, and I'm so glad we are doing this. We, I want to ask you something in the end to wrap up this interview. And you and I could talk for another two hours, but I know you're. Um, we are all bound by time constraints. If you were to define Afghanistan in a word or a sentence, how would you do that? That's the first part. And also, if you were to define America in a word or sentence, and the reason why I say America as well, because of America's presence in Afghanistan, I'm sure a lot of Afghanis have opinions on what they see of America. So if you could describe both, how would you do that? Uh, in a short the question, Afghanistan, uh, lovely more than my mother, and uh, America, a friend who became a foe. America, I know that, that it probably uh, I love to be in America and also I think that, that there would be several opportunities for me to work. But what I believe is this, that, that America has just lost the opportunity to be a superpower in the world. So the policies of America has made the country so cheaper and also a friend that is now full of 
all the countries. Trust me, after this, none of the countries in the world would trust Americans. And everyone would say one point, that if you trust America, your situation would be as same as Afghanistan. With $2 trillion of investment, U.S. has just bankrupted their own nation. And now it's time for the Americans to stand against this kind of policies and ask the politicians that why you, you did this. We lost our science, we lost our taxes, but now everything is at the uh, uh, ground zero or, or uh, back uh, to the uh, zero point. So, so this is my definition from both countries. But Afghanistan is still lovely more than my mother. And it's, it's the first and last mother that, that, that I love it too much. And I want to just be burdened in, in, in this land. I hope so that one day I will have the opportunity. Thank you so much, Falad. And thank you for your resilience, your vulnerability, your commitment, and your love for Afghanistan. Um, as an ethnically Pashtun woman, I, I hope, that Afghanistan will come out of this turmoil and, and we'll hopefully see Afghanistan on a path to recovery um, by its people, for its people. Thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure for me. Thank you so much for listening to our last episode of season 12 for resources on how you can support Afghans seeking refuge and those resettling around the world. Head to our Twitter at immigrantly underscore pod or our Instagram at immigrantly pod. That wraps up season 12, but don't worry, we'll be back in January for a new season all about love. Special thanks to Rebecca Liebsen for her journalistic input on this important Immigrantly episode. Today's episode was written by Eliza Kazmi, edited by Bronte Kirk, and produced by Kylie Roberts and me, Sadia Khan. Special Rabab music by Kes Isar. From all of us at Immigrantly, have a happy and healthy new year. Oh.